Welcome back to episode number 122 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety in industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have a replay of an Ask Me Anything session inside the Dust Safety Academy, focused on combustible dust safety in Australia and New Zealand. And in that session, we have Dr. Chris Bloor and Dr. Jim Monroe. So this was a bit of a novel approach to us. I actually wasn't involved with this session, and we did it on the other side of the world. <laughs> so the thought process was to start getting more people involved in the Dust Safety Academy in terms of presenting and start get other regions of the world involved as well. So the, the genesis or the thought process behind this session then was to have Dr. Chris Bloor, who's been on the podcast a number of times before, do this training session inside the Dust Safety Academy as the, the guest host. And then he was doing the, the Ask Me Anything with Dr. Jim Monroe. They were going through dust, combustible dust safety in Australia and New Zealand. So this is going to be a recording of that session from inside the Dust Safety Academy. As always, you can find out the information about how to join the Dust Safety Academy at dustsafetyacademy.com or go to the show notes of this podcast episode, which is dustsafetyscience.com slash 122. That's the, the number 122. That will take you to the show note page for this podcast episode. So by way of a bit of background, Dr. Chris Bloor has a Bachelor in Chemistry and a Bachelor in Chemical Engineering. He has a master's in controls engineering, a PhD in spray drying technology at Massey University based in New Zealand. He's worked with the New Zealand Dairy Research Institute for over 20 years. He spent the last 30 years as a self-employed consultant with clients around the world, mostly focused on combustible dust safety. He's worked on well over 250 spray dryers, including most, if not all of those in Australia and New Zealand. He's a specialist in explosion and combustible dust, uh, fire and explosion safety system design. He had a role in editing the New Zealand Dairy Code of Practice for Combustible Dust and setting up the subcommittee MS-11 that set up the ASNZS 4745 standard, which is their, their standard practice for combustible dust. And we've had Chris on the podcast a number of times before because he's extremely knowledgeable in this area. He's done over 150 half-day training sessions on dust explosion and explosion safety in dairy and related industries. He's just a wealth of knowledge on this topic. His co-partner in this Ask Me Anything session is Dr. Jim Monroe. Dr. Monroe is Managing Director at Jim Monroe International Compliance Limited. He started that in 2004, and he's based just outside of Sydney, Australia. He's been heavily involved in explosion protection, and in particular, explosion protection equipment, since 1979 at the national and international levels. Among a host of other things, he's the Chairman of the Panel of Assessors of the IECEX Scheme, and system for almost 20 years. He's chairman of the International Electrotechnical Commission, IEC, uh, committee TC31 on electrical apparatus for explosive atmospheres. He's been active in, in that committee for over 15 years. He's the convener of the IECEX EXMC Working Group 15, Integration of Non-Electrical Standards. He's a lead assessor within the IECEX system. Uh, and he was the director of Test Days Australia for seven years up till early 2004. He received his PhD degree from Sydney University and is a fellow of the Institute of Engineers of Australia. So you can see we have two extremely knowledgeable f- people involved in industries handling combustible dust, involved in explosion protection, explosion safety. And I couldn't think of anyone better to host this first international Ask Me Anything session inside the Dust Safety Academy. We're going to play the recording over two different weeks on the podcast. And in this first week, We're going to go through what regulations apply to combustible dust in Australia and New Zealand. 
We're going to talk about some of the background in the New Zealand approved code of practice. What are the latest relevant IEC documents related to combustible dust and related to explosion safety? We're going to close up by talking about what are some of the challenges of staying up to date with the standards? What are the main industries involving combustible dust in New Zealand and Australia? And some of the challenges that they're seeing there. So without further ado, I'll let Chris and Jim get into it with the questions that were submitted from the Dust Safety Academy community. If we start with the, the first one, I'll ask you, uh, Jim, what regulations apply to combustible dust in Australia? Yeah, okay. I've actually written some notes on this on the, on the document. Uh, the basic uh, answer I had was that for above ground industry, we have no regulations because as I explained to you the other day, it's a slightly convoluted way. We, we're a commonwealth of states in Australia, and most states uh, run their own legal systems. And hazardous areas and a lot of other things aligned with electoral areas come under that system. <clears throat> so enabling legislation has to be done in each state. What we do have in Australia is our standards development, and we have AS, which is often done in conjunction with New Zealand. So we have ASNZS 3000, which we call the wiring rules. Each state does call that, that document up into law or references in, this, in state law in various ways. And that's how then work associated with doing electrical wiring then becomes addressed in some form in a legal way. And within that standard, it includes references to the relevant Australian, New Zealand has the standards. These standards are adoptions of IEC and more recently ISO and IEC standards. So that's the rather convoluted way that we end up with regulations for above ground industry. However, for the coal mining industry where we have the coal, coal dust as a, as a hazard, they normally do have their own regulations. The two major States and New South Wales, where I live, and New Queensland, which is the northern part of Australia. So they have very specific regulations for coal mines. Interestingly, to the best of my knowledge, their regulations are quite different, but that just shows how independent we like to be in our states in Australia. But that does give direct uh, legal weight to the process. Even so, the, those regulations also normally call up the various standards. Uh, that are relevant to it. So the the other thing we have is when I reference ALS NZS standards, in a lot of cases, uh, the IEC standards in their own right become also relevant because we accept IEC certification in Australia. So the equipment might only have been certified to the IEC standards, which particularly for equipment, uh, for what equipment has to comply with for certification, they are, to all intents and purposes, identical to IC standards, Australian ones and New Zealand. Right. Okay. Well, I can answer the same question for New Zealand. We're a strange little country with no states and a unicameral system of government. So I've just got the the, the one party, uh, the one um, House of Parliament, and we have a governing act of parliament, which is the Health and Safety at Work Act in dated 2015, which replaced the Health and Safety and Employment Act and prior to that, the Factory and Commercial Premises Act going back 30 or 40 years. Um, we also have referenced the ASNZS standards and there is a uh, ASNZS 4745, 
code of practice for handling combustible dust, which is kind of the overarching combustible dust standard for both countries, but it's technically a code of practice. So its, it's role is advisory, it's not prescriptive. And that standard, I was on the um, MS-11 subcommittee that, that helped draft it back starting in, I think, 1999, that references the design codes from both the VDI and EN standards from Europe and the NFPA standards from the USA. So as a designer of protection equipment or uh, processes, you've got some considerable discretion as to which of the standards you use, but you are obliged to follow some internationally recognised standard. We also have the uh, classification of areas for combustible dust atmospheres. Um, you're probably more up to date than I am, but I've got the ASNZS 60079.10.2. 2011 Explosive Atmospheres Part 10.2 Classification of Areas Combustible Dust Atmospheres, which I think has been superseded. Possibly, I can have a look and see. It's probably simplest for me to go to the IC ones because there's a lag between the IC standards coming out and the Australian standards. So it depends then whether I so normally my IC standards always up to date, the others may fall a little bit behind. Let me just while you're finding that, I'll mention uh, yeah. the approved code of practice for the prevention, detection and control of fire and explosion in the New Zealand Area Industry Spray Drying Plant. As far as I know, it's the only publicly available uh, code of practice for, um, for that sort of um, safety in, in spray drying. And as such, it's been the subject of some interest from overseas multinational companies uh, looking at any changes the New Zealand uh, industry might uh, have with regard to um, explosion safety practices. Um, so that's uh, since one of the major uh, causes of what well, major areas in which we've been getting combustible dust explosions over the years has been the dairy industry. Um, that was uh, quite important that um, we sort of became leaders in that because we've we produce a very large amount of milk powder in New Zealand. Okay. Um got that uh, document open. The latest IC document uh, is IC 6079-10-2, ah. which was published in January 2015. Right, so that's the equivalent numbering system to the 2011 version. Yeah, what happens when the standards get adopted in Australia or in New Zealand, we use the same numbering, but we put ASNZS in the front of it, yep. and the dashes get replaced with dots. Yep. Because that's been the, uh, the the method for some reason or other, they haven't managed to accept a dash would be be okay, so they have to t remove the dashes and put dots in. Well, 2015 is the latest edition. Right. Um, I, just as a comment for anybody watching the recording, uh, keeping up to date with the standards uh, is not a trivial exercise, and the timetable for the recycling of standards. Um, is idiosyncratic at the best of times. And there's, the other problem is the harmonisation or lack thereof between the EN standards out of Europe and the NFPA standards out of North America. And uh, that, that can be quite, uh, involve a lot of um, jumping around to get from one to the next to the next. 
it hasn't been helped by the fact that the US NFPA standards generally start out from the laws of physics and the EN standards start out from thousands of full-scale tests carried out uh, in, in Germany and Norway and places like that. So there has been a, a kind of an empirical approach on one end and a very theoretical on the other, and they are slowly coming together by adopting a risk-based approach. In Australia, you've mentioned that your um, coal mines and uh, grain, agricultural, chemical, pharmaceutical industries are, are the major ones. In New Zealand, we make nearly 2 million metric tonnes a year of milk powder. So we, that's our major uh, risk product. Uh, but we've also got a large wood, wood processing industry. We export logs, sawn timber, pulp and paper and medium density fiberboard um, from New Zealand. And those processes entail from time to time uh, dust explosion hazards. We have a single large sugar refinery in Auckland in New Zealand and they um, for many, many decades had a monopoly on the import of sugar and the handling of sugar uh, can generate combustible dust and the appropriate equipment is all um, vented or suppressed in some way. We have coal mines, um, but uh, there the major hazard has been methane because many of our mines are very gassy. But of course you can get a hybrid mixture of methane and coal dust, which is incredibly dangerous. The other issue which I'd written down when I was putting the question, answers to questions together was uh, sulphur handling. New Zealand makes a lot of superphosphate fertilizer from imported phosphate rock and sulphur. And the elemental sulphur is burned to generate um, sulphur trioxide, which is then converted to sulfuric acid, which is then reacted with the phosphate rock to make superphosphate. And of course, we've got um, tens of thousands of tons of uh, powdered sulfur in stores, and they are subject to flash fires mm. and explosions. Uh, and we have had the odd incident. Unfortunately, one just before Christmas, at the very end of 2020, in which some people were hurt through um, SO2 inhalation rather than by burns. There was a question of which we haven't answered about how combustible dust handled within the IECX scheme. Have you any thoughts on that or should yeah, we move yeah, to another so, topic? No, actually I can on that. I, I missed it. Otherwise I would have definitely put something in there. <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah, but basically the approach is along the lines of uh, utilising the standards from, from TC31, which produces the standards for IECX. Uh, we have a number of schemes there. The, the original and the most significant scheme is the Equipment Certification Scheme. So that allows bodies throughout the world to be, to be able to become certifying bodies called EXCBs and testing bodies called EXTLs. They get accepted by the scheme after a fairly rigorous assessment process. And then they, and they can seek to have relevant standards in their scope. So if it were for dusts, then the most significant standard is IEC 60079-31, which has, over the various years, been known by various things, including DIP is a sort of common acronym that's used, although it's not in the current edition. Basically, it's a standard that ensures you have well-closed well joints, normally with gaskets, but not always, 
to ensure that dust can't enter the equipment. So that but stands for dust excluding ignition proof, is that right? Dust excluding ignition proof was what the original DIP stood for. Yep. Uh, we also allow a number of other techniques that have come from the world of explosive gases and vapours. So we have, for example, intrinsic safety, where you have to keep the energy very low. That's standard is IEC 60079-11 is the main one. There's also a, a couple of other ones, but 11 is the, is the major one. Uh, it's also possible to use... Pressurization, which is IC 60079-2. It's a little bit more challenging to adopt a dash to to dust because for gases and vapours, if you have equipment shut down, you can purge the equipment to get rid of all the gases and vapours and then you can start the equipment. You can't do the same thing with dust because you're liable to have dust inside and all you would do if you're trying to purge was perhaps stir up the dust and create a bigger problem than you ever had. So there are, therefore the requirements there are a little different uh, or they're also addressed in uh, and other standards that relate to the use of standards uh, where the equipment has to be opened and cleaned out before it can be restarted if it's used in a dust area. There's one or two other standards. There's encapsulation. There's another one I can think of off the top of my head which works essentially the same in, in, in both areas. Uh, but still, the, the the principle of using the equipment that excludes the dust is still well well and above all the other usage of the standard because it depends on common practice. Uh, so that's how it's handled in terms of sort of equip, equipment. We also have other schemes. One that relates to uh, services and in particular repair and overhaul, so people can be. Uh, accepted as a testing, as a repair facility, to, and that would inc- could include in their scope repair of equipment that's that's uh, got some form of usage in dust areas. For example, a, a motor that would be used in a dust area would be a common sort of equipment that might be subject to uh, to repair and and overhaul. We also have a competency scheme, so people can be rated as being competent to do various things in the EX field. And amongst those competencies, there's the ability to include various types of standards and techniques. So dust can also be included as part of that exercise. Um, there, so they're, they're, the, they're the major the major schemes within the IEC. So we actually, the question here actually says within the IEC scheme, strictly speaking, that should be the IEC system. We started off as a scheme and then we developed different schemes. Then it, got, it changed its name to the system with various schemes within it. Oh, thanks very much. One of the questions uh, was, what are the challenges of combustible dust in dairy and milk powder industries? Um, that's the industry I've been in for the last uh, 49 years and um, it's an area that became quite important because we started to have a significant number of explosions within the New Zealand dairy industry. Um, My first exposure to this was in I think 1972 when a brand new dairy factory had a minor bang which buckled a bit of equipment but didn't do a lot of damage and but the, my main introduction was in 1989 when there was a catastrophic explosion at a factory in New Zealand that 
literally wrenched the spray dryer apart and it knocked about half the cladding off the building it was sitting in. Mercifully, nobody was hurt, but it was a massive um, explosion. I'll talk about that in, in a bit more detail in a minute. The approach the industry's taken um, has been to work together with the Insurance Council of New Zealand, the then Occupational Safety and Health of, uh, Department of Labour in New Zealand, and the Dairy Board, which was the single desk market app for New Zealand's dairy produce back in the day, and the Dairy Research Institute where I worked, and the fire service, and came up over a two year period with the code of practice for dairy spray dryers. And that marked a big improvement in um, industrial safety in New Zealand. So dairy companies now all have got standard operating procedures covering dust explosion safety in terms of the, the design and operation of the equipment. And then for maintenance uh, act and construction activities, they've got job safety area assessments, lockout tag out procedures, hot work and confined space entry permit systems. And our plants are now all protected by either explosion vents or um, explosion suppression equipment or both and uh, chemical isolation using uh, pressurized um, cylinders of, of powder suppressant uh, for isolating different parts of the equipment from each other. And they're also all fitted with water deluge systems that can flood the plant with water to extinguish fires. There, as a result of the improvements in safety, the main cause of ignition nowadays is uh, self-heating of milk powders. Back in the day, we had a lot of hot work problems where people welding on the outside of spray dryers while they were running. Um, if you're interested as to whether that would make them blow up, the answer is yes. <laughs> Emphatically, like yes. Tanks when, the tanks when they're full of vapours, yes. Yeah. Another good way of causing explosion. Yeah. And what we now have, almost all spray dryers in New Zealand, not all, but, but almost all, now have carbon monoxide detection. And that will pick up the very small amount of carbon monoxide generated at about the 1 to 2 ppm level uh, part per million um, due to self-heating before, if you're lucky, uh, before the amount of heat generated reaches mm. uh, the energy level that will cause an explosion. One of the problems is that self-heating milk powders generate heat, but they're very good insulators because they're only typically 50-50 mix of powder particles and air. So they, they self-insulate. The result is you can get have a lump of powder that's pure white on the outside and it's glowing dull red on the inside. And if that breaks open uh, in a dusty atmosphere, you've got yourself an ignition source, you've got yourself a dispersed fuel in air and you've met all the requirements for the explosion Pentagon and you've got yourself an explosion. One of the big problems we've got now is operator alertness. Because these events happen very infrequently, people uh, cannot remain constantly vigilant. And as a result, they get careless and we get problems. And that's an, an area where uh, automation has got a downside. The classic case of that, of course, is in the airline industry where the computerized controls and airliners mean that the operators, uh, pilots, co-pilots, 
often don't get enough practice to actually know how to fly the plane properly, particularly if they've been using the automation and all of a sudden something goes wrong and the automation turns off and they're kind of dropped in it from a, a, a very literal great height. Uh, some of the uh, other challenges we've got are um, keeping the uh, desire of companies to uh, have a cheap solution uh, faced up against the need to have a safe solution. And uh, I have over the years been asked to do the calculations for eventing um, using both EN and NFPA standards and then pick the cheapest solution. Um, I've got some difficulties with that. <laughs> And uh, I think what we need is the safest solution. So um, we've got issues in other industries in New Zealand. Um, coal mining was, was particularly tragic. We had uh, 29 underground miners killed 10 years ago in New Zealand, largely a methane uh, fueled event, but um, coal dust may possibly have played a role. Uh, the result is that underground mining is being very heavily restricted in New Zealand and open cast has become the dominant form of mining, um, which is not free of risk, but is a great deal safer. Okay, so we're going to cut off the recording of that Ask Me Anything session here. In this episode, we heard Dr. Chris Bloor and Dr. Jim Monroe talking through the status of combustible dust safety in Australia and New Zealand. They talked through what regulations apply for combustible dust in both of these regions. They gave some background on the New Zealand approved code of practice, some of the latest relevant IEC documents. They also talked about how to stay up to date with the standards, where some of the main industries in this region of the world involved in handling combustible dust, and some of the challenges that they see from a practical application across different industries in this region of the world. Coming back on the podcast next week, we're going to do the replay of the second half of this Ask Me Anything session. We're going to dive right in with example incidents that they know of from New Zealand and Australia, where combustible dust testing can be completed in these areas. We're going to talk through some of the large loss incident history and close out on some more of the practical applications like the role of housekeeping and dust collection, equipment certification, and how the technical committees work in regards to explosion protection, combustible dust safety, and other questions that were asked by the community. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I want to thank Chris and Jim for coming on and doing this Ask Me Anything session inside the Dust Safety Academy. If you want to get access to the replays to this or other trainings that we do inside Dust Safety Academy, go to dustsafetyacademy.com. You can find more information on how to do that there. Or you can also go to the show notes of this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 112. Have a safe week ahead, and I want to say thank you for everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer every day. <laughs>